0: Welcome to The Projections Podcast, a dialogue about film and psychoanalysis hosted by me, Sarah Catherine Cleaver, and me, Mary Wilde. Just like Steve Martin in Grand Canyon, we feel that all life's riddles are answered in movies, and our first series aims to introduce you to our podcast through a discussion of cinematic representations of mental illness. For the next
1: six episodes, we'll each pick a film and use them to explore the capacity of moving image to showcase the emotional and mental functioning of six different psychiatric diagnoses. Anxiety, depression, psychosis, narcissism, borderline personality disorder, and psychopathy. Film is a means to unlock the mysteries of the human mind. Subscribe and follow our cinematic adventures into the unconscious.
0: Welcome to episode 3 of Projections. Hi, Mary.
1: Hi, Sarah. So this is it, Psychosis. Mm -hmm. Tonight we focus two films that we each chose that we believe are somehow connected to the topic of psychosis in this series. And I have to say, even though I hadn't really intended on, you know, having a very strong harmony in this one... In a sense, I think there is a big link here mm-hmm. between our choices. So I chose the film Frances, which is a 1982 American biopic um, starring Jessica Lange as the actress Frances Farmer.
0: And um, my choice was The Truman Show, uh, 1998, directed by Peter Weir, who we've just been mm. talking about because yeah. uh, he directed Picnic yeah. at Hanging yeah. Rock. Yeah, this is a very different film from that. Yeah. <laughs> and again, as you said, it's... They do link up in a weird way, but I think that's what's always going to happen.
1: Yeah, which is the beauty of this kind of series, uh, to find these surprising connections between films when we decide to categorise them in the way we have. In a way, I kind of almost like to start off with Frances First of all, Bear isn't just mentioning that the script of the film is based on a fictionalized biography mm-hmm. of Francis Farmer. So there, you know, it's not exactly true to real life events. That's
0: no, definitely true.
1: And certainly, um, the film depicts Farmer as having been bottomized, um, which has actually, you know, never happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it Bear is mentioning that. Um, and also, it's, it's kind of fascinating, really. Uh, when I first watched this film, I found it um, challenging. I found it because Jessica Lang's performance is so convincing mm-hmm. and she's so good in it. In fact, she was nominated for an Academy Award. And she was chosen actually out of an array uh, of candidates for this role. Uh, including Mia Farrow was considered, uh, Jane Fonda, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, Liza Minnelli, Susan Sarandon, CeCe Spacek mm. and Meryl Streep. So there's certainly a lot of people that she was competing with for this role, and I think the performance she put in is extremely persuasive. Not to mention the fact that Jessica Lange has recently appeared in Feud, mm-hmm. um, the the, the the story of the Joan Crawford and Betty Davis relationship. That's true.
0: There's kind of a Lang surgence. Yeah. Because she's in American Horror Story as well. And just brilliant. She's a wonderful performer. She's amazing. Yeah. But I just love is. the fact that she's suddenly become popular. I know. In, in, I know. Whatever age she is. And getting really
1: interesting roles. Yeah. And getting that recognition. She is a really great actor. Um, so just yeah. to kind of give you an idea of the film. Um, Frances Farmer, of course, um, was born in Seattle. And she's kind of an archetypal rebel figure. Um, so much so that I think her the sort of controversy and the fact that she's she became known for her mental uh, instability and problems that she faced, um, in, in a sense, um, she became a very enigmatic figure. And it's then no surprise that Kurt Cobain and the members of Nirvana we uh, uh, were also fascinated with her as someone who was from Seattle and of course they were from that part of the world and they, Nirvana has a song uh, do. Yeah. do Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle uh, which is a great song it's one of my favourite Nirvana songs actually and Kurt Cobain actually named his daughter Frances I believe after Frances Farmer that does make sense Yeah, yeah, I and think... I can see how Courtney Love would have also been influenced by this type of representation
0: of femininity well it was very much a time when women were being difficult yeah you know, difficult yeah. in quotes you exactly. know, it really i think that um yeah Kurt Cobain would would probably seen a lot yeah. of francis in courtney or the other yeah. around has seen yeah but he definitely, I think there's a really great, that this is the time when we recommend other podcasts. Yeah. There's a really great episode of You Must Remember This yes. on Francis Farmer. Yeah. And I think he's quoted as saying, you know, sometimes I think this could all happen to Courtney. Yeah. So it's definitely those two. Yeah. Those two kinds of women really do mirror each other, and there Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And actually, I have always I hadn't seen Frances until you mm. you chose it, but I'd read about it so much, and it's referred to in so mm. many feminist books. Yeah. Or not even feminist academia. Just in mm. general. Elizabeth Wurtzel talks about yeah. it a lot in that bitch book, which is great. Yeah. But um, just as a woman who is difficult. I think yeah. we were speaking last week about authenticity yeah. and she's definitely a good example yeah. of
1: that. Now, of course, you know, one can turn around and say, "Well, this was based on a fictionalized, you know, biography, so you can't say that this happened for sure." But nonetheless, it doesn't re- it almost doesn't really matter because in the end, it's almost what the symbolic meaning that gets attached to someone. Um, so whether she was lobotomized or not, the fact is she was institutionalized. Um she this was someone who, you know, right from the start, was someone who refused to acquiesce. Mm-hmm. So even before she encountered um sort of debilitating mental distress, from the start, she was very in very much an independent spirit. So in that sense, she was already an anomaly in Hollywood, a system that demanded, especially women, to toe the line mm-hmm. and to fall. Into categories and sort of not rebel and not rock the boat. So right away she posed that kind of problem for that system that tended to over-regulate and control women. Um, and she, you know, she, she would present uh, radical acts uh, on on set, such as insisting on appearing on screen without makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, this is quite. I mean, it might sound like nothing, but that's quite. When we think of the golden age of Hollywood that kind of act is quite revolutionary really right? yes. um and even just the fact that at, in the height of mccarthyism um she cheated on her husband with an alleged communist um harry york and and even just that alone like within even the sort of macro economic level she was Rebelling, mm-hmm. She was rejecting this kind of sycophantic, um, ideological worship of American values. And she was like, you know what? Um, I- I'm capable of deciding my own destiny and I'm choose to be with this man. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in the film where someone refers to her as comrade. Mm-hmm. And it's meant as, as a pejor- pejorative term. And you can see how it impacts her. like It really frustrates her
0: um it's interesting as well I'm sorry I'm yeah no that's of, okay um the, when you think about the time that this film was made yeah and the list of actresses that you have there and you know those that is a list of women I think Tuesday World is in there yeah. I think Cybill Shepherd is in there Natalie who Wood have yeah. Natalie Wood who have all who were all part of the studio system in the 60s and all went on to have mental health yeah. problems Absolutely. So this isn't, you know, she. This is definitely a fictionalized account. It is. But she becomes, I think, this character is an archetype for oh, all of those women. Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely, mm-hmm. it certainly is. And the fact her, her very um, sort of, I guess, natural disposition to to be a source of defiance. Mm-hmm. I think this is the central issue. That She became, she came very much to be associated with that in the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. So those kind of, let's say, embellishments to the script almost are s- superfluous because at the center of it, this was a woman who was radically, um, sort of, in a sense, maybe even you could say psychotically defying. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say psychosis, I mean, it's important to define the terms because yes. psycholytically. We can talk about a clinical uh, detachment from reality, like an ontological insecurity, whereas the very nature of your being and your place within the world is disturbed, um, in the sense that, you know, a neurotic person uh, might suffer a great deal and feel very repressed and, you know, have anxiety and sadness and this kind of thing. But at the end of the day, they accept that they're. You know, so and so, a label, their name, uh, and 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 there's no kind of let's say uh, real sort of reality dysphoria. They they know where they are in the world. There's not that kind of fragmentation at that level. A psychotic person, uh, psychoanalytically, the cause for this, uh, certainly Freud and Lacan argued that um, where a neurotic person experiences repression, a psychotic person Their entire perception of themselves and their world is deeply fractured and the process by which they arrive there is that there's some kind of foreclosure, like a disavowal of some anchoring agency in in reality and often that agency is the name of the father or some kind of law-bearing agency. Okay. Like a, Something that ho- holds all of the symbolic order together for the psychotic individual, that doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like the sky is the limit in terms of potentials of being in themselves and being in relation to the world. So I think that in a sense, um, someone like Francis Farmer, who is this kind of, how should I say, very constantly posing... A, a source of, like, threat to a very established system, very male-dominated, she... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that she was clinically psychotic and detached from uh, a general reality. What I would say is that she, the psychosis that we can identify in this film or in this biopic is that she simply foreclosed or disavowed the male dominance in the system of work that she chose for herself because she genuinely did want to act. She had a passion and enthusiasm for it. She just didn't want to uh, comply with the rules that were so embedded in that system. She wanted to do things her own way, this alternative reality, this ontologically insecure, in a sense, from that established system. So I, I would argue that in that sense, she was detached from the reality of Hollywood because she had this kind of freedom within herself to invent her own way of being, um, when things, you know, sort of took their toll, and she um, had to restart her career, um, and she, she kept being cast in unchallenging roles and forgettable B movies, etc. She increasingly um, became dependent on alcohol and amphetamines. And there was also this additional pressure put upon her by her quite overbearing mother, um, as depicted in the film. Who The mother was, she, she, that's a very interesting character, because the mother is portrayed as a com- kind of wannabe. Mm-hmm. Someone is so eager to comply with the status quo of Hollywood. Why can't you just do what they tell you to do? Why can't you just follow the rules? So she's someone who's just happy to you know she wants a quiet peaceful life in that world she doesn't want to disturb that reality whereas farmer is that she's that psychotic kind of figure of in a way an antigone figure in sophocles's play someone who is has the courage of their conviction and has already seen this other dimension that no one else wants to acknowledge and they're kind of in a sense it seems all quite psychotic because she's having a breakdown Mm -hmm. um
0: I think there's um a kind of recurring character in films that mm. I think of as like the like the monstrous extrovert, yeah, and definitely and i i she's definitely yeah. the mother is definitely one of those characters totally the way that she you know she she gets up to dance and her daughter won't, and yeah. all that kind of thing It's just that the most suffocating as an yeah. introvert, I find that character just oh, the most suffocating too. disturbing character. <laughs> Because you're not listening no. or paying attention. You just want to have fun. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah exactly. she's a uh, really good example of that character. Really good
1: example of that. And the fact that at a time where her daughter actually needed to be reassured mm-hmm. and encouraged, um, she, she really didn't have a support system. And mm-hmm. so all of these factors together led to her breakdown. She was sectioned. And the way that it's portrayed in the film is that Basically, she's abused mm. in this institution by the powers that be. Men, essentially. Uh, she has to go undergo insulin and electroconvulsive shock therapy. She's cruelly beaten, raped by the male orderlies, um, and even visiting soldiers. Um, and then she's lobotomized before she's released and I think that even if every single detail of that didn't happen you know to the letter the point is that experientially as someone and she was sectioned in real life Mm -hmm. experientially it must be so violating to have that occur Uh, and in a way the lobotomy that's portrayed in the film I think is symbolic of a of a let's say different type of lobotomy that was forced upon her because the Hollywood system is kind of like this, um, all controlling agency, particularly at that time mm-hmm. that would have just loved to make things simpler and simply replace her brain with a compliant brain and said, you know what? You're too difficult, but you're so, t- you're, you you've got the look we want. We'll just replace your brain. And in a way that, I think that the lobotomy that's portrayed in the film is effective as a symbolic tool to communicate what was attempted on her, that kind of violation that that the independence of thought, Mm -hmm. her mental capacity, her autonomy and her, her very, you know, sort of free spiritedness. These were a a threat to that system and they had to be suppressed. And And in a way, um, there's almost not even much more to it than that. But the main point I want to get across is that in a sense, we, we, you know we have to accept that psychosis is really a very radical uh, shift and distortion of reality. some kind of unconscious uh, disavowal, foreclosure of the male dominance. Within a system, within a sort of, a, uh, I guess, in in a sense, what Lacan called the phallic, sort of grounding in a symbolic order, mm-hmm. the, the, the the essential hoarding of power that d- dictates how people ought to behave and what the sort of legal elements are within that system, and someone like Frances Farmer, she just she she wouldn't comply with that. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, it's a it's a it's a psychotic acting out because she chooses an alternative reality. Of course, it's not seen as a positive in a positive way by those powers that be, and she's physically, you know, she's manhandled. She's literally she's um, restricted um, and 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 you know put into a straitjacket, locked up in a cell. Um, but that was already occurring symbolically in other ways Mm when she was constantly being controlled. So the final scenes, they're so harrowing uh, to watch. It really is painful to see that kind of suffering in that system. I think the final scenes are really just a combination of everything that had already been occurring in a much more subtle
0: way. Yeah, I think that's a really good reading of it, actually. And uh, that does make me feel like I can watch the film Mm -hmm. easier. Um, I have to say, yeah. just as a learning curve for me yeah. with this, um, with this topic, it's um, it's interesting to discover how much I never thought. Perhaps because of all of the other films we could have chosen for psychosis, the, those sort of cartoonish sixties representations, you know, Repulsion, yeah, yeah. Obsession yeah. uh, images, all of those, yeah. you know, where women appear to go mad just by from being female. Is so I yeah. I think that I didn't realise until re- you know reading it through these films and reading up on it, on it a little mm-hmm. bit it surprised and scared me that psychosis is such a reaction such a vulnerability to yeah. the overwhelming power of others yeah their expectations their desires their yeah. personalities are so strong and unbearable that you crack under the pressure yeah. which is much i didn't i didn't think so much of it as being such a suffering yeah. caused by other people yeah. as i would have thought depression and anxiety yeah. was but it's much much more it's yeah. the just an unbearable sensitivity yeah and i think that Psychosis is often, you know, it's something that directors can play with so brilliantly yeah. with, you know, their visual choices. Very cinematic. It's very cinematic. So you often associate it with something just so outside your experience. Mm. So, you know, something in the realm of LSD and, yeah. you know, and <laughs> surrealism and yeah. someone, you know, you think you, I, there's not, there's no mental illness so associated with a chemical imbalance as this But these films are both much more about people... Whose idea of freedom is incredibly Mm. at odds with the freedom that's the types of freedom and the type of rest and the type of I don't know care that are inflicted upon them. Exactly the imposition of a reality
1: Mm -hmm. onto theirs, and so in a way, the psychosis is a radical action, a radical resistance Mm -hmm. against that oppression. It's 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 much it's an amplified no of the depressive. Whereas the depressive chooses, you know, uh, to live authentically in the, you know, in amongst the facade of fake fakeness, and they retreat into their sadness. The psychosis goes a hundred miles further and says, "Actually, I won't retreat into sadness. I'll just invent a new reality. Mm-hmm. I'll seek out and live inside that other alternative ontologically insecure reality." And the problem is that, you know, the further down that line they go, of course, this is all unconscious, um, and the, the, the more, uh, I guess, separate they become from a shared reality, the more they're ejected from the reality that we can all sort of, um, the reality that we share together. They The way that they're, they're then treated in that society is, is even worse. It sort of cycles mm-hmm. to the point where they just have to be restrained and they're just isolated because they're too far gone in their mind. At this point, it bears just mentioning also a distinction between the, the diagnosis of psychosis and psychopathy.
0: Yeah, we thought we would address this now, yeah. just in case anyone was confused. Take it away, Mary. Well, because, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it seems...
1: I've heard this many times where the words psychopath and, and someone who is psychotic, those terms appear sometimes to be used interchangeably um, to mean the same thing. And they're actually quite different diagnoses. A psychotic is precisely the structure we've just been describing. Someone who has ended up um, in, in their mental and emotional life living out a separate reality, basically. Um, or who misinterprets the signs of a shared reality to mean something completely different. Whereas a psychopath, which often is also the same diagnostically as a sociopath, a psychopath is someone who is very much aware and in touch with a shared reality. They just have no remorse. They're criminally insane Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. They're prone to break the law. Uh, abuse other people, manipulate, lie, cheat. They're extremely intelligent. Um, they just don't have any remorse. And they will manipulate and take advantage of people with absolutely no sort of moral boundaries just to prevent them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times um, psychopaths uh, end up committing extreme crimes like rape and murder um, and a lot of the times they just end up in, in prison. In fact, a huge proportion of the prison population is clinically diagnosed as a psychopath. So that we, we will be covering. We
0: will definitely be covering it. Yeah, in a separate
1: section. As
0: horrifying it is, as it is, it's also quite fascinating It's fascinating. And there's a I mean, I think there's an element of, uh es- there's an element of wishful fantasy to every illness that we are going to talk about. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in certain different ways. Yeah. And uh, that definitely also applies to the psychopathy. But back to psychosis. Back to psychosis. And this Sh- might be a good segue to, to move on to Truman Show. To the Truman yeah. Show. Um, so this, I feel, is much more a... I think it's much more a fantasy version yeah. of... A positive fantasy version of psychosis because this character... Who you know goes through as much manhandling and restriction and abuse mm. as the Francis farmer character triumphs through his own authenticity, mm. which is uh, <laughs> an unrealistic end for this type of illness. but yeah. it is it is definitely a more positive representation, yeah. much more. Unrealistic representation. But very
1: hopeful. But hopeful.
0: Yeah. Yes. I agree. Um, so it is, I mean, I can't imagine anyone out there not having seen it because mm-hmm. it was the Forrest Gump of whatever yeah. year it was. Um, although 1998, it might have been the same year as Forrest Gump. <laughs> um, but um, it is about a man, Truman. Truman, what's his last name? Truman Burbank.
1: Burbank, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. That's a big... LA reference right is it? there. Yeah, because Bur- Burbank Studios is where a lot of those big Hollywood studios...
0: Oh, of course, and he's owned by a studio. So this is a man who has been born into the possession of a studio, and yeah. his life is has been filmed and is broadcast 24-7 mm. as a television show. Mm. He's completely unaware of this, of this reality, and everyone in his life is a paid actor who... Is not there to make him happy or comfortable, but rather just to restrict him and to set his life in a certain direction and create drama for ratings, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Essentially, but though not as much drama as what yeah. happened later with yeah. real reality TV. Yeah. yeah, the the main goal is to keep him from wanting to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah this is an interesting one again it's about someone who is very very much beaten down by the expectations and desires of other people mm-hmm. both without knowing it mm-hmm. from this director this you know again patriarchal director yeah. figure yeah but again just through his mother who becomes ill yeah. when he wants to ch- chase his lost love across the across the world yeah. and his wife who insists on staying in their house and having a baby and yeah. but just this is a person who is trying to find... And he does manage to find multiple ways of resisting other people's expectations. Yeah. Yes.
1: And what's amazing about it is that he very much is embedded in that world of, as you say, the the sort of uh, narrative, this constructed narrative weaved out of the desires and expectations of other people. Mm -hmm. That's his whole reality. And so it's only when he begins to in a sense poke through some of the inconsistencies that we see some very interesting actually uh references to the clinical disorder the sort of psychosis such as when he starts to he he starts to exhibit extreme suspicion about his life so now that's a very classic um, symptom within the sort of Uh, constellation of of things that you might find within that diagnosis Mm -hmm. of psychosis where someone starts to wonder about the ontological correctness of their life. Like, you know, what if I am just a figment of someone's imagination? This kind of thing. You often hear psychotic individuals sort of speculating about Mm -hmm. the nature of life and being and their role within that world. Um, And he starts to notice unusual events that seem centered upon him. For example, a falling spotlight, rain that only falls on him, etc. Radio channels that precisely describe his movements. He starts to like become aware mm. of these strange events, very uncanny moments in a film. And that and is actually,
0: another feature of psychosis, it is. isn't it? It's, and, it's, and that is something that links it a little bit to... What Delusion of to reference. It.
1: Yeah, a, a grandiosity. Yeah, grandiosity. Delusions you know. of reference. You know, everything is revolving around me. Mm-hmm. There's some bigger purpose that I'm here to serve and and often you will hear you know a psychotic individual say that they are actually Napoleon or Jesus or something like that so there's this kind of uh, I guess yes delusion of reference noticing that things are bizarre as uh, being becoming suspicion of your life and the way that the director who's played magnificently by Ed Harris, is such a kind of, first of all, he often when I first saw this film, philosophically it kind of dawned on me that it's very like almost theological and the director could mm-hmm. almost be God.
0: Yeah, it does seem like that. It does seem a bit
1: like that. But then actually when we think that it's a studio inside in Hollywood um, and it's this, you know, sort of, it's all fake and it's all props and it's all location. Nothing is real. It does make me think like what if hollywood and the messages that are sort of propagated and perpetuated within the system constantly recycled and broadcast and expectations that are set for people and people that are feel that pressure that's unconscious pressure to live up to mm-hmm. the images
0: that they see um in a sense we're all true yeah that is completely true you know and it also does mirror the way the that- that Psychotics, like anyone else, they are they're adaptive, yeah, and they'll adapt to the society that's around them. So, a hundred years ago, psychotics were worried about yeah. the devil talking to them or yeah. some form of religious, yeah. you know, problem. And now it's it's same. It's it, From now, it's cameras or reality TV shows or yeah. live streaming or yeah. you know, um, tech you know technology that listens to their thoughts. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, and because of the revelations
1: of people like Edward Snowden who. Mm-hmm provided evidence for state-sponsored surveillance that really um, Anglo-American governments are uh, covertly listening, not just to people that they suspect are committing crimes, but everyone. And it's really interesting when Truman does decide to break free from this fake society that he's trapped in. Um, The director... Uh, speaks directly to him through the speaker system. And he tries to convince him to stay, stating that there is, quote, no more truth in the real world and that he knows Truman better than he knows himself. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating because that, to me, is very, that's the archetypal name of the father that Lacan talks about. You know, this this symbolic father who um, actually anchors this whole system as the glue of the entire system that the child is expected to comply with Mm -hmm. and it's this final message that you know i know but i know what's best for you and you need to follow the rules and i know you better than you know yourself i'm looking out for you you know trying to reassure um and and that by you know he tries to make that argument that by him staying in this artificial world, Truman has nothing to fear. But this is the this is actually the madness mm-hmm. that to accept uh, something that is completely phony um, just for the reassurance that he's actually just being patronized, whereas actually the psychotic resistance is to say no, I'm out, I'm, I've am foreclosed you, you mm-hmm. no longer, you, you no longer rule over me. And I think that, you
0: know. So is Truman, yeah. when Truman does step out of the, yeah. you know, the dome or whatever it is yeah. that he's in, is that the symbolic equivalent to the psychotic just disconnecting? Yeah. So, you know, because I did, I thought about it and I guess it's just, a, you know, it, it's connected to sound depressed I feel this week because of all, the, yeah. st- all of the stuff um <laughs> but I just felt like that for most people there is no ver- freer new brand new version of yourself whatever you're dealing with now you're stuck with this is yeah. you know everyone has these fantasies of you know a type of version of themselves that is more confident yeah. and is going to live life better. And idealize that. And a, a break yeah. with your life now and a new start. An, an amnesia, <laughs> a head yeah. injury or something like that. But for most of us, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And maybe it only really does happen for those who just invent a totally mm-hmm. new reality. But that is a bleak way of reading. In a show? way... <laughs>
1: yeah, I know, but in a way, it's, it's for me, it, everything you said now is, 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 is so relevant and important because you're right. It's, it's almost like you know, it's a fine line when we interpret a film like this because what we don't want to say is that we're sort of glorifying or edifying the true suffering that is attached to something like psychosis Mm -hmm. and saying that, yes, you know, he broke away from reality, therefore he's free. The question, I think the the suffering, the question of the suffering that's associated with the psychotic individual's courage to disavow Mm -hmm. and foreclose illegitimate authority is really the question of how so, greater society that's caught up in the pantomime of this symbolic order, how do they react to someone like Truman?
0: This, oh, that's nice. Because actually, and this is what
1: R.D. lying said, because R.D. Lange, of course, this Scottish psychiatrist, he was very interested, particularly in schizophrenics and psychotics. He thought that they were being treated inhumanely, that actually a lot of them had a unfathomable amount of wisdom that we could all benefit from accessing and helping to kind of understand better. And that actually they were treated deplorably and most of the time just institutionalized, locked away, like criminal and punished really. And uh, he, he was a big part of this anti-psychiatry movement in the 70s. And uh, he just said that we need a completely radically different way of how we understand psychosis, we're actually in our infancy in terms of how we relate to a psychotic's impulse to break away. Because the true suffering is not that they've had... It's not really at the point of their breaking away. They're suffering because they've been marginalized. They've been ostracized by us. And they're isolated. So that's interesting
0: to me. That is very interesting. And that is a much more hopeful way Mm -hmm. of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Is it also not Ardi Lang who discovered... Or who noticed that when psychotics were going home to their families, they would invariably get much, much worse. Yeah. Which brings you yeah. back to the idea of just suffocation by yeah. the sort of power figure in oh, yeah, life. And actually, you quoted from Truman's show, and I wrote down a quote from Francis, if you're treated like a patient, you're going to act like exactly. one. Exactly. And that is the linking factor yeah. in this. It's much these people are driven to be to feel this way. Yeah, through people, it's relational. Yeah, it is relational. So people constantly reaffirming and reaffirming and reaffirming that they are what they are. Yeah. Hmm. So in a way,
1: that, and, and I'm sure that a lot of psychotic acting out takes place unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is maybe utopian thinking, you know. But what if we were so evolved as a society that we saw someone? deny our shared reality to such a degree they had to escape you know that was their form of escape because it was too painful and what if we what if there was that level of compassion and understanding available to them when they broke out you know when they dropped out of society i think that would completely revolutionize psychiatry as a field and there's so much here i mean there's a lot of money invested in psych, you know, psychotro- psychotropic medication, you know, medicines that, uh, let's say, restore chemical imbalance, etc., etc. And there's a lot of people getting very rich from antipsychotic drugs, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, there's certainly proven to be, you know, some some kind of uh, pathway inside the brain that's connected to dopamine, and with in people who are psychotic, they do respond positively to antipsychotics. Um, But I think the over-reliance on that pharmacological treatment and the fact that it does provide enormous profit for people who are in that business, in a way limits us from really understanding what what is the symbolic nature of this? Mm. What would drive someone to desire escape to such a degree that they would be even willing, unconsciously, to create a whole alternative reality for themselves. Um, and to, in a way, rewrite their role, even in that alternative reality. It's, it's very, um, for me, it's very fascinating. And when I do think of the representations of psychosis in film, it's amazing to me how oftentimes psychotic individuals are sort of disparaged in the way that they're portrayed as being a nuisance. Oh, yeah, and
0: downright dangerous. Downright dangerous. You tend to get yeah. psychotic criminals Yeah, all the time, psychotic yeah. killers. Yeah, yeah. Whereas actually... Well, um, they're the victims usually of some... Some
1: companion. form of oppression, mm-hmm. something that they just can't comply with. And so, yeah, and it's so... it's For me, film is... Uh, so important as a mode of communication in terms of how it portrays certain mental states and this, and, and all the kind of coded uh, value systems that are embedded in these films about how people with psychosis are just so scary because they're catatonic, they walk around, and you know, it's like that one flu of a cuckoo's next, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of archetypal figure of the person who's just. They're they're away with the fairies. They're so far gone. You can't even relate to them. You can't even speak to them. And yet Freud believed very strongly that it is possible to uh, gain insight in a clinical setting with a psychotic individual. Actually, he famously said that um, we need to apply the rules of, the same rules of engagement in dream analysis when we're dealing with an illogical, uh, unpredictable narrative of the dream that's surrealist realist kind of maybe on the surface not everything makes sense mm-hmm. narrative of the dream and we, we need to sort of transfer that same approach onto the language of the psychotic
0: oh that's interesting yeah and that, that applies to film as well yeah absolutely yeah you think we said all we need to say i think so okay. i think so then uh join us next week when we move on to narcissistic personality disorder yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you Bye. Bye. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to the Projections Podcast. We really, really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to all of your friends or rate and review us on iTunes because that way we get more listeners. Yeah, and just spread the word and follow us also on our socials.
1: You can find us on Instagram at Projections Podcast as well as uh, look up our Facebook page, Projections Podcast. Um, You can also find us on our individual Twitter accounts. Um, Mine is uh, at psychstar, P-S-Y-C-S-T-A-R. And Sarah's is...
0: Sarah K. Cleaver.
1: Perfect. Um, Yeah, and also feel free to email us too. Uh, We're projectionspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any film recommendations you have that could um, sort of work with the categories we've been discussing uh, or... Just any feedback, really, if you have complaints or just anything. We'd love to hear from you. If you have complaints, try and put them in a polite, nice way. Please. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.